So, um, we are entering a season of Lent, and uh, Lent is the 40 days before Easter, uh, not including Sundays, starting on Ash Wednesday, which is, in fact, March 6th. So, it's not this Wednesday, but it's next Wednesday, but we actually wanted to get a jump on this series because of some of the things that we'll be talking about today. And I actually wanted to open up just by showing you guys this um, this kind of diagram here. Um, I, yeah, sorry, the, the thing is not is not up here. Yeah, thank you. I'm gonna need you guys' help. So, um, so this is what's called an urgent important matrix. Um, so you may have heard of this before. You may have seen this. It's uh, it was kind of popularized by a guy named Stephen Covey who wrote uh, the book um, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And, uh, but it's actually originally from uh, Dwight Eisenhower. You know, if you guys know who that is, he was president, right? And uh, so he had a very successful kind of military and presidential career. And he used, in fact, this, this matrix. Um, and what he did was, it, he didn't use these exact terms, but uh, Stephen Covey kind of redid it to make it like this. And so up here in quadrant one, if you can't read it, it says urgent and important. And then quadrant two says important but not urgent. And quadrant three down here says urgent but not important. And then quadrant four is not urgent and not important. Right? And so right here, urgent and important would be something like, you know, and there's some examples like a kitchen fire, right? That is both urgent and important. You have to do something about that. You know, loved one is in danger. If you have some kind of deadline at work or school, obviously those are both urgent and important things, things that need to be done immediately. So there's some urgency, and it's also important. And the way that he would define kind of urgent and important, important activities have an outcome that leads to us achieving our goals, whether those are kind of personal or professional things. So if something is going to move you forward personally or professionally, then that is something that's important. Something urgent uh, typically demands our attention, but is usually associated, if it's not urgent, both urgent and important, if it's just urgent, it's usually associated with achieving someone else's goals. So it seems urgent. It seems like it has to be done immediately, but it's not actually related to something that's important to you, typically. So this is urgent. Important but not urgent is things like the word and prayer. right? Those things typically don't seem urgent to us. But if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, then obviously those things are important to you. Pretty much any spiritual discipline, right? You know, missions or evangelism or fasting, which is one of the things we'll be talking about today. Uh, exercise. Typically, exercise is not something that's urgent, right? You don't think like, oh my gosh, I have to go exercise right now. Like, you don't feel like that is something incredibly urgent unless... You have neglected it so much that it ends up in quadrant one, like you just had a heart attack or something, right? which is sometimes things that we see with maybe our parents. Uh, life vision and direction, relationships, these aren't typically things that we see as urgent, but most of us would say that they're important, like our relationship with our families or our friends, maintaining those things or building those things. Quadrant three is urgent but not important. This is just like, I like like a sale, <laughs> You know, like a sale is urgent, right? It's like something that you have to do because it's going to end soon. 
but it's not important, right? It's not something that you think is really going to advance you in your, I mean, I don't know, unless you're, <laughs> unless like that's your, that's your work, right? Like you're in fashion or something. If it's just like you're just buying stuff for yourself, typically it's not that important, right? One thing that they said was like debates, and I put inconsequential debates, because sometimes debates are important, but usually if you get into like a Twitter battle or something, that's not really that important, but we feel like it's urgent. And the last one is not urgent and not important. It's like trivia. Trivia is basically information that is not really significant to you. Right? This is like when you're on YouTube and you're just like watching a bunch of stuff. You're just like learning random stuff. Or you go on Wikipedia, like searching some kind of information. It's not really important, nor is it urgent. You just happen to be doing it. Right? Social media typically falls in this category, busy, busy work and entertainment. Now, what Stephen Covey says is that most of us spend our lives in quadrant four and quadrant three. Right? Most of us, the, most of the things that we do for our whole lives are spent on urgent but not important things and neither urgent nor important things. And I would encourage you, you know, don't do it now, but maybe you can go through this and think about the things that you spend most of your time doing. Are they things that you would consider in a vacuum important to you, to your personal development, to your professional development, to your relationships, to you growing essentially as a person, if you're a Christian, then as a disciple of Jesus growing in that vision, growing in that discipleship? Or is it mostly putting out fires, so to speak, not literal fires, because that would be quadrant one, but just things are happening. People are demanding your attention. They're asking you for favors. They're telling you to do things. And that's what we end up spending most of our lives doing, if not watching stuff on Netflix and playing games on our phones. It's quadrant three and four. Now, as I said, we are entering into a season of Lent. Um, that word just comes, it comes from an old English word, which just means, well, it's lengthen, but really it's like lengthen, which simply means, it's like a way to reference spring, the season of spring when days lengthen. Um, but for Christians, it's more of a Catholic thing, but it has been kind of adopted by Christians to be this season in which we anticipate the victory of the light and life of Jesus Christ, right? So it's leading up to Easter. And typically what Christians do during this season is they fast. They give up something. Now, part of that relates to this, because the question is, how do we as Christians find ourselves more in quadrant two? Spending our lives on that which is important, on that which actually means something to us. Now, throughout this series, we'll talk about kind of what Lent is and what Lent means and how we can step into this season of Lent with an understanding of how we can deepen in our intimacy with Jesus. 
today, kind of initially just to talk about that, we are going to talk about um, fasting. You know, what fasting really is, you know, why we do it and how we can step into it. And I'm doing this this week before we get to Lent, which is next Wednesday, not this upcoming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, so that you might be able to consider stepping into Lent and giving up something to deepen in your relationship with Jesus. But we'll get to that later. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, and we're just going to read verses 1 to 4. And we'll look at some other passages today, but we'll start here. Once again, that's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. If you don't have your Bible, you can look up at the screen. And this is God's word, and it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So this is, this is a known passage. If, you, if you're a believer, you've been a believer for a while, you probably know this passage. It's the story of Jesus Prior to his ministry, after his baptism, he goes, he's sent into the wilderness, he's led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and he's tempted by Satan. Right? And I think on the surface, we kind of get it. He's going into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan just before his ministry starts. It's kind of, it's this test, right? It's this test that he is being given before his ministry. But there's kind of a lot more going on here than we realize oftentimes, Uh, Something we have to realize is if Satan had succeeded in stopping Jesus right here, then there would be no salvation, right? This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is obviously before the cross. If Satan had succeeded in moving Jesus off the path of humble, sacrificial obedience to the Father, then none of us would have access to the Father through Jesus. Simply to say, you know, all that to say, there's a lot at stake here. You know, the Bible says he's fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. That's probably like one of the big understatements of the Bible, right? If you hadn't eaten for 40 days, I mean, you're, you're more than hungry. Okay? You're, you're, you're starving. And that's the situation that Jesus finds himself in here. Now, Satan's very smart. Okay, Satan is, he's very clever. He's cunning. And so what he does here is he, he tempts Jesus by saying, hey, uh, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, to us, if we're not really familiar with Scripture, what we might see is Jesus is just tempting, I mean, uh, (laughs) Jesus is tempting, Satan is tempting Jesus to kind of just use miraculous powers, right? To be like, okay, turn these stones to bread. Obviously, that is within the power of God. But that's not really what's happening here. Now, Satan is referencing back to what Israel went through. Now, he knows what Jesus is doing. Jesus, by fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he's identifying himself with the people of Israel when they wandered in the desert for 40 years. Right now, it's a little different. Obviously, what Jesus is going through is uh, it's a, it's a, it's symbol, it's symbolic of that, and he is doing it in a kind of a intense, more intense fashion, just 40 days straight, no eating at all. 
But what Satan is doing is he's referencing back to those days in the wilderness. And what God did for Israel when they were in the wilderness was he provided manna from heaven. He provided this special bread from heaven, and they called it manna. Manna just means what is it, right? Manna, and that's what they called it, and then that became its name. What is this bread? That's what we're going to call it. We're just going to call it what is it, right? It's kind of how they named, like, whatchamacallit, the candy bar, right? It's like that's what it is. It's just that's its name. And so Satan is saying, hey, Jesus, if you're like God, the Father, he says, if you're the Son of God, Right? If you're like the father, remember what the father did when Israel was hungry in the wilderness. He miraculously provided bread for them. So if you're like the father, then you should do what the father did and miraculously provide bread for yourself. Since you are identifying with Israel, you do this magical thing, this miraculous thing that God did. It's very interesting, right? And it's very, it's kind of more deeply theological than we understand at times. We think it's just like, oh, Satan's just tempting Jesus. Like, and sometimes you might have read this before and you might have thought, like, who cares? Like, why is that, why is that a temptation? You know, he's like, isn't this fasting over anyways? <laughs> like, isn't he just going to eat, like, later? Like, why is this a big temptation to, like, turn these stones to bread? So it's not so much about that, just the fact that he's hungry. Obviously, that's part of it. But it is this, he's like saying, hey, you be like God the Father here. And you do miracles like God the Father does in the desert. So Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now that's from Deuteronomy 8.3. Deuteronomy 8.3 says, and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Satan's and Jesus' points mark a subtle difference. But don't miss it, right? Satan says, hey, make some miracle bread like your father did and provide for the new Israel yourself. But Jesus says that's not the point. The point was never the miracle bread. The miracle is not the point. The point is not about bread, nor was it ever about bread. It is and always has been about God, the miracle worker, the one who provides the bread. So the point to Israel wasn't, hey, trust that God will give you bread. It was just trust God. Trust that God. The point for Israel was that not that they would know that he would provide them bread, but just to know that he could do it miraculously and so that they would trust in him. Now, this, this tells us about fasting, right? It, it was the hunger that led them to understand this. We fast, so here, here's... Here's the first point we see, okay, about fasting. We fast to learn to trust in God rather than his gifts. Or even his providence. Even what he can do. We do it so that we can trust in God. Let me ask you this question. Do you trust in God or do you trust in what God can do for you? 
Do you trust in God himself or do you trust that God will do something for you? So here's, here's one way I think that we can get underneath that question. So I'll ask you another question. When you make a decision, do you consider more the results of your decision or do you consider more the process of making a decision? Do you consider more what is going to happen? Right? So let me, like, for example, if you're deciding what job to take, do you consider more what's going to happen as a result of taking that job? Like what what your income is going to be, what it will look like to work at that company, you know, um, the drive, you know, and your commute and your salary, your security, you know, upward mobility, like these kinds of things. Or do you consider more the process of how you should go about making that decision? So consulting God and his word. So praying and asking for wisdom and asking God to conform your heart to the will of God. Asking godly people around you for advice. In fact, even before making the decision, do you put your decision up and say, God, whatever you say, yes or no, I'll go with that. Or do you make a decision first and then ask for God to affirm you, to confirm you? One of those is about getting at God. The other one is about getting at what you want and then having God cover you. So Randy and I, we were reading this book. Um, it's great by choice. I almost forgot again what it's called. So it's great by choice, right? I don't know if I shared this. With, I don't think I have. But, uh, you know, there's this, there was this one. Uh, so th- it's a book about leadership. And there's this uh, one um, kind of, there's this principle in the book. And it's called Fire Bullets, Then Cannonballs. Right? And so he gives this illustration of, like, imagine you're like a, you know, I don't know why, but it's like imagine you're a pirate ship, I guess, you know, at sea. And you're like, a, you know, and you're fighting another pirate ship, right? So get in, like, get in, think about, like, Pirates of the Caribbean or something, you know, the movie. And, you know, let's say you have only one cannonball left. And so you're, at, you're fighting the other ship, right? And so what it says is the principle in the book is, or you have, like, let's say you have, like, five cannonballs, okay, instead of one can You have five cannonballs, right? The principle in the book is the cannonballs are rare and they can do a lot of damage. So instead of just shooting them without knowing where they're going to go exactly, fire your bullets first, right? Because if you fire your bullets, you'll kind of know where they are and you'll be able to be calibrated correctly so that when you fire your cannonball, you will hit the ship. You know, it gives you a better chance, right, of making a good decision, And what he says is one of the worst things that can happen is if you don't calibrate, you just kind of shoot off your cannonballs. And in fact, if you you get a hit, because that teaches you that having a bad process can lead to a good result. And I see this happen often, right? People make decisions, and all they think about is what's going to happen. And sometimes even a bad decision results in something good happening. A decision with no process, a decision with no word, a decision with no prayer, a decision with no consulting of anyone. A decision that is purely selfish, that is just usually the path of least resistance, and that decision is made, and then it leads to, like, you know, whatever, like a nice, a little nice result for a little bit. 
And because this book was about business and companies, that ended up destroying companies because they thought, oh, we can just do it again later. Then they did the same thing later, and the company fell apart because they didn't have a good process. In fact, when they made a good decision, they didn't even know how they made the good decision. It was purely luck. They didn't have any idea what the process was. Good process leads us to learn how to trust God. Not good results. When we trust, uh, see, like I want to say trust the process, but <laughs> it makes me think about the Sixers and Sam Hinkie. So I don't know if you know basketball. But really, that's, that, this is kind of what God is, is telling us. Now, fasting is a way for us to remove superfluous things, things that we think about all the time, in fact, that play so much into our decision-making. We don't realize it until we take it away, and then we are forced to get at the core. And we are forced to trust in God himself, to learn how to do that, to learn to say, you know what? I don't even know where the bread is coming from. I don't even know how this is happening. I'm just going to trust God because he's the one who's providing it. So fasting is a way for us to learn to trust in God himself rather than what he can do. That's our first point. Here's our second point. We fast so that our hunger for God's presence might be awakened. We fast so that our hunger for God's presence might be awakened. Here's what fasting is not. It's not a way to be more spiritual, right? So it's not something that we should, it's something that we should neither brag about nor complain about, right? Like, oh, shit, man, I, I'm, I fasted. You know, it's like I, I just fasted and I'm feeling good, you know? I just fasted all week or I fasted all Lent, nor is it something we should complain about, right? Like everyone's out to eat and you're like, oh, no, 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 I can't. I really wish that I could, but I cannot. For I am fasting to the Lord, you know, and like I'm going to go in the back and pray on my knees while you guys stuff your faces, right? Like that's not, that's, not the, <clears throat> that's not the kind of thing that we should think about or say, you know, when we're fasting. Nor is it, you know, and fasting's not either a way to punish ourselves, right? It's not penance, it's not like, oh, I just sinned, so now I'm going to fast. Like, that's a weird way to think about it. So there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that, uh, there are a lot of reasons that people fast in the Bible. It's to strengthen prayer, to express repentance and returning to God, to seek God's guidance, and there, there's other things too. Um, but kind of the heart of fasting, right, which we see, is revealed in Jesus' fast. It is to awaken our hunger for the presence of God himself. I want to look at this passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 17. It says this, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, 
Then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So here's what he's saying. You know, why is, why is this fasting, why is this periodic denying of ourselves necessary to awaken this hunger for God? He's saying, be careful because what happens is when you have stuff, right, when you've eaten and are full, when you've built houses and live in them, when you've got herds and flocks, when your gold and silver is multiplied, be careful because what happens when that happens is you might look up and you might, you might forget God. You might say, I've done this. You might look at yourself and say, oh, my life's pretty good and I'm doing pretty well and, and I'm doing a good job. And you'll forget that God is the one who pulled you up out of slavery. And he says the slavery of Egypt. Now, if you're a believer, you know what it's like to have been in slavery and to be on the other side now, to have been a slave to sin, to be completely unable to do anything about sin, whether to stop it, whether to confess it, whether to do anything but be ashamed by it and to be conquered by it. And what... So this is, again, this is from the same you know, passage that Jesus is initially quoting, right? What we see in fasting is that physical comfort can be a barrier to spiritual hunger. When we are physically full, when we have plenty, that's often when we forget God. Now, a need, okay, a truly essential need is something, and, and I've said this before, but a truly essential need is something that you know you need without knowing it exists. Right? Something that you actually need. You know that you need whether you know it exists or not. Right? What I mean by that is like a baby knows that it needs food whether it knows that food exists or not. And the same with you. Like if you didn't have air, you would know that you needed air. If you didn't have water, you would know that you needed water. If you didn't have food, you would know that you needed food, even if you didn't know what food was. Because your body would tell you. You would be hungry. You would be thirsty. You would be gasping for air. That's a need. You know, a phone is not a need, right? Because before phones existed, nobody knew that they needed one. A car is not a need, even in California, right? Because you would be living without one if you didn't have one. Like, you would still be alive, and there would be nothing visceral in you that would tell you, oh, this is absolutely a need that I have. Those are wants. And they're conveniences, and they're things that we use, they're tools, things that we use, but they are not needs. So I never used this word um, until I had kids. But um, 
It's the word hangry, right? Because I always thought that it was kind of a weird word. And, you know, I just didn't feel that it was essential to my life. And then I had kids, and I was like, this is the only word that describes the nature of, of my children right now. Like, they are hangry. It's like every time they're hungry, they're hangry. They're never hungry, in fact. They're only ever hangry. And it was so interesting, right? Because I realized that it, would, it didn't matter what else was happening when they're hungry. Right? Like, like we could be on vacation, you know, we could be at the beach. Like, we could be at Disneyland. It doesn't matter. Like, we could be at the happiest place on earth, and we're doing something, you know, that they exactly want to do, and then hunger hits, and it's like, does not matter? They're not happy. They're just unhappy. Whatever else is I could give them anything else that they want, but when they want food, like when they need food, food is the only thing that is going to satisfy them and, you know, we're the same way, right? Like, you're the same way. You know, some of you guys, you guys get a little hangry sometimes. You know, it's like there can be something really happy can be happening. There can be anything going on. But if you're hungry, then that's the thing you're thinking about, right? And you may have anxiety in your life. Like, imagine something that would preoccupy you. There's some deadline coming up at work. There's, some, you know, there's something like you have an interview coming up or, you know, something at school, like something, whatever, Right? And that might be something that normally, let's say it's a few days away, that would be something that normally occupies your thoughts a lot. But if we took food away from you for like three days, you wouldn't be as preoccupied with that thing. Right? You'd be thinking about food. Now, the same is true in a spiritual sense. And in fact, I've seen it. I mean, I've experienced it. You can have everything right going in your life and not be satisfied spiritually, and you will not be happy. You will not be satisfied, ultimately. Because you could have food, and you can have, you know, a good income, and a good job, and a good family, and you can have, you know, a partner, and you can have just everything that you thought you ever wanted, and you could still not be happy. Fasting reminds us that to hunger for God, right, to be aware of your state of hungriness for God is better than to be full of the delicacies of the world. To be wanting of God, to be wanting for more of God is better than to have the best of what the world has to offer. Now, what should we do with that hunger once we are made aware of it? Because that's what fasting does to us. And this, you know, this will be my closing point. But as you fast, learn to feast more deeply on Jesus, the true bread of life. Okay, I want to look at one more passage. This is from John 6. John 6, 26. It says, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in, whom, in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, what? 
then what, is, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. So again, it's going back to that, right? They're having this conversation about bread, and Jesus is saying, don't labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And now they're asking him, they're saying, okay, then what's the work you're going to do? What's the sign? God the Father gave the Israelites bread in the wilderness. So what's the sign that you're going to do? Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus again references this same teaching, right, about the Israelites in the wilderness, and he follows it up by saying, I'm the bread of life. Like, do you understand that manna wasn't the true bread? That wasn't the true sign of God providing for his people. The true sign of God providing for his people is me. I'm the one. Jesus is identifying himself with the people of Israel. He's going through his own Israel experience in the wilderness. It's not quite the same. But it's different also in this sense. Israel failed. And where Israel failed, Jesus will succeed. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is Moses, and he's saying, what's going to happen is there's going to be someone later on like me. You know, Someone who's going to come. It's going to be like Moses, like Joshua, like the one who delivered the law, like the one who took the Israelites into the promised land, the true bread that comes down from heaven. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm the true bread. I'm the true word. As we enter into his self-revelation, we're being drawn into relationship with him. That's why Jesus says, man doesn't live on bread alone, not physical bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God, because that reveals Jesus. And Jesus says to Satan, that's my portion. That's what I care about. That's all I need. So the point of fasting is to learn to trust God more than what he can do to sharpen our hunger for his presence so that we can be free to feed on him. Now, Lent's coming up, so I want you to consider fasting. Now, I'm going to say a bunch of things, okay, that, that you, I'm going to say a bunch of practical things that you can think about this week. So it's not this week, but you can think about it, and you can pray about it, and you can consider it for next week. And it won't even start next week, you know, Sunday. It'll start on Wednesday. That's, that's when it starts, right? I would say these things. Okay, well, here's just some suggestions, practical, right? One, don't fast on Sundays, okay? Lent actually is 40 days before Easter, excluding Sundays. It doesn't count Sundays, 
And the reason is Sunday is supposed to be like a mini celebration. It's supposed to be like a mini Easter every Sunday. And so, you know, and Sundays are when we're at church, you know, on other practical reasons, right? Like we're at church and, you know, you're hanging out and having fellowship. And the point of fasting is not so you can be separated from the fellowship of the body of Christ, right? So you could be like, oh, no, guys, I got to go do my own holy thing because I'm holier than you guys. No, like, there's no point in that, right? It's like, so just don't do it on Sunday. Um, two, okay? Here's something you can do. Commit seven minutes a day to God. That can be your fast, right? You can just say, okay, I'm just going to commit seven minutes every single day to God. That's going to be my fast. And for those seven minutes, I will not do anything else. I will not think about anything else. These will just be God's minutes. Three, here's another thing you can consider. Give up one meal a week, right? Give one meal a week, like, like Friday morning breakfast or something. Okay, this, this meal I'm going to give up for God, and I'm going to spend that time instead of eating breakfast, I'm just going to spend it with God. Four, give up something one day a week. So it could be food. You could say, okay, I'll fast one day per week. Or you could be something like social media. Like I will give up social media on Saturdays during Lent. And I won't look at it at all. I won't post anything, right? Even if the most funny thing that I've ever experienced in my entire life that has ever been experienced in the history of humanity is happening. I'm not going to pull out my phone. I'm not going to post it. Right? And don't cheat. Don't like record it and then post it the next day or something like that's just that's just cheating. Don't do that. Number five, live off $2.50 uh, one day a week. And pray for all the people in the world that live off that. Because that's about half the people in the world. Live off 250 a day. And so, and, and we'll get into this throughout the series, but another part of Lent is not just so that, it's like not just self-denial, but it's about being able to be compassionate and being able to, to relate to those people who are, in fact, suffering. Um, so similarly, number six, give away... 250 per day for 40 days. That's $100. Right? So, again, half the world lives off 250. So, give away that much every day. It's like, I don't know how much you can actually do with 250. You might have to save up a couple days so you can just give five bucks away because you can't even like buy a cup of coffee at Starbucks for 250, I don't think. And so, maybe, but that's something to consider. And then here's number seven. I gave seven suggestions, right? Here's number seven. Uh, Give up something every night between sundown and sunrise. So this is a more traditional Jewish kind of fast. But they would fast between sundown and sunrise. So give up something every day. So this is a more challenging thing. Right? I'm not saying do all these things, by the way. I'm, I'm really saying do one of these things or consider doing one of these things or, you know, something like that. But I wanted to give you guys some options and things to think about and pray through this week so that you might consider how you can grow in your own kind of intimacy with God. Um, very Very quickly, I'll just close with this. Um, It's this quote that, you know, I read in a book. It says, 
uh, freely chosen, discipline is absolute freedom. Freely chosen, discipline is absolute freedom. I love this quote. Because this is, I mean, you have to really think about it. But uh, uh, imposed against your will, discipline is essentially legalism. Right? So if, if, if we were to force you to do something that you didn't want to do, like not, that, not just that you didn't want to do, but that you didn't will to do, then that would, be, that would be forced, that would be legalism, and then enforcing that. But if you choose discipline against your flesh, that's what all discipline is, by the way. If you have to be disciplined to do something, you're not going to want to do it. Right? Like exercise. Freely choosing that and acting upon it is absolute freedom. So, so this is essentially where fasting, because it is this kind of, I would say the same thing about self-denial, right? Self-denial, freely chosen, is what leads us to freedom. And the reason I can say that is because Jesus freely chose to deny himself. We're not even free like he is, right? He doesn't have to eat or breathe. Like, he doesn't have any confusion about who he is. He isn't insecure. He doesn't need validation. He has never lacked in community. He's never lacked in love. He's never felt, you know, he had never felt lonely. He'd never felt anything but perfect community and perfect love within the Godhead, and yet he freely chose to deny himself for us so that we could be in relationship with him. That is God's sacrificial love for you and for me. Let us step into that to follow his example. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your incredible, abundant love. God, oftentimes I think we are just so dulled. God, like our our senses have been dulled by indulging in the world and God I think from time to time it is necessary for us to step into a season like this where we can say not just with our lips but in fact with our actions um, you mean more to us than certain things in our lives God in fact there are things in our lives that are getting in the way of us knowing just intimacy with you and hunger for you and joy in you and we want to freely deny ourselves so that we can be awakened to your glory god i pray that you would give us courage i know that it's hard to step into this kind of thing god it will certainly be uncomfortable it will certainly be challenging on some level and yet we pray for your strength We pray for your grace, and we pray, God, that you would use our small sacrifices to be reminded of your great sacrifice and the joy and life that we have in you. We entrust it to you, God. We thank you so much, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.